glad to see you standing as well. <laughs> uh, uh, although the numbers don't really matter, do they? Um, it's good to be here. I had a mixed, days, a mixed day today because I'd lost my pen for a week. Couldn't find it, searched all over the house, and I found it in my shoe this morning. Been lying since last Sunday. Must have fallen out my suit. And then that, that was the good news. The bad news was, in the darkness, I put on the wrong suit. <laughs> Imagine that's got two suits. And uh, this one's 30-year-old, and it still fits me. That's not bad, is it? <laughs> Although I'm three stone heavier, I think. But um, it's good to be here. Um, and we've been singing songs that are related to what we're thinking in these days, aren't we? You know, that we... We really rely on God because he lives we can face tomorrow. Um, we made friends when we were out at Tenerife. Went out for three years for four week spells. They wanted us back for three months but we couldn't, we couldn't go back because we need our own wee bed after about a fortnight. <laughs> and uh, we met this couple from Sandyford Henderson, Church of Scotland in Glasgow. Um, Andrew and Betty Sibold, and uh, they live in Paisley, just opposite the hospital. They've got a beautiful flat in Paisley, but they also had a lovely apartment in Tenerife, and they were back and forward. They were helping the church in Tenerife for the past 14 years, and um, they went back. They decided that their time is up in Tenerife and they're going to settle back in Paisley for good now. And back a fortnight past Tuesday, uh, within an hour Andrew wanted to go out for a walk and went out for a walk and fell on the rocks and fractured his skull and died. What was a sudden call for Andrew? And I uh, phoned Betty to say how sorry I was to hear about Andrew. She said, actually, we wanted you to take the funeral, are you free? And it took her over a week to do the paperwork to get his body back to Britain. And um, his body came back last weekend about midnight into Glasgow Airport. And the funeral's on Friday. So I'm taking that funeral. They have no family. Betty's brother was a man called Ian Patterson. He was a Baptist minister in Castle Milk for a time. <clears throat> and um, they have no children and very few relatives. So. They were having a service on Friday. And then one of my best friends, a man called Brunton Scott, have you ever heard of him? Um, Sheila has gone home to be with the Lord last weekend and they dug out their welcome leaflet. I, I keep all these things. Um, my funeral file's about that thick, all the cards. And uh, Sheila has gone home to be with the Lord. She was 91 and the funeral's a week tomorrow in Perth Baptist Church at three o'clock. Um, what else has been happening? Oh, I'm writing an article, three articles for a magazine down south, so that's been uh, affecting me this week. Um, and uh, I'm, I'll into the, the typing. I got most of the first article done and I started typing. And Jean said, how are you getting on? I said, well, I've done 566 words today <laughs> of the Martin Luther, uh, John Calvin chapter. I'm doing Sons of the Reformation 
in Europe and in England and in Scotland. Three, three articles for a magazine down south. If you could remember me for that, that would be great. And we're still in our prayers very much. We're praying for Scott and Deborah and the family at this time. If you have a Bible with you, could you please turn to James, the letter of James, chapter 4. I was going to do some Old Testament characters, but the Lord gave me this word for the new year, and I thought I'll share it with you tonight. Um, James, chapter 4. We're just going to read a few verses. Um, We're going to read from verse 13 through to verse 17 in James chapter 4. The headline in the New International Version is Boasting About Tomorrow. Now, listen, you who say tomorrow, today or tomorrow we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money. Why? You do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or do that. As it is, you boast and brag. All such boasting is evil. Anyone then who knows the good he ought to do and doesn't do it, sins. An amazing letter, James. The question arises, which James is it? <laughs> um, the five Jameses in the New Testament, the son of Zebedee is one of them, and the son of Alphaeus is another one among the disciples. And there's James, the father of Judas, not Judas Iscariot. And there's James the Little, James the Less, as he's sometimes called. And then the fifth one is James, the Lord's brother, as he's referred to in Galatians 1.19. And of course, you know that the Lord Jesus, in his earthly life, was a member of quite a big family. If I've got the reference right, Mark, Mark chapter 6. Uh, they said, where did this man get these things they asked, what's this wisdom that's been given him? Isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? Aren't his sisters, we don't know how many sisters he had, but at least two. Aren't his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. Now, here's a man, if we think he's the one that wrote the letter, traditionally, that's the view. Um then we're, we're talking about somebody who lived at close quarters with the Lord Jesus in a big family where possibly first up was best dressed and last into the butter was a fool. <laughs> that kind of stuff. And a man who was especially crucial, and if you read Acts 15, in the Jerusalem council, he was the man steadying the council. And I don't know what will happen at Tenerife, but Andrew was, in my view, Mr. Steady, the man I was talking about a few minutes ago. He steadied the ship. There are a whole bunch of, a mixed multitude in Tenerife, a bunch of dolly mixtures, and Andrew was wonderful at keeping them together and getting agreement. 
and pouring oil in troubled waters. And James was a key figure in the Jerusalem Council in Acts 15. Um, two striking features about the letter. First of all, he was brilliant. He must have been brilliant as a public speaker when you read this letter. Martin Luther didn't like James, by the way. He said it was an epistle of straw because he didn't like the bit about works and faith and the relationship. He thought Martin Luther was wide of the target there. Uh, sorry, he thought James was wide of the target there, did Martin Luther. Although he revised his opinion before he died on the letter to, to, uh, by James, I'm happy to say. But you know, he uses all sorts of stuff in the, in the letter, rhetorical questions, paradoxical statements, imaginary conversations, questions to introduce new subjects. And there are 60 commands or imperatives in a letter with only 108 verses. So he wants people to do things as a result of experiencing the gospel. Um, and he personifies objects like sin is like an animal and so on. Famous people from the past he refers to like Elijah. Um, direct address, you have to do this and that, the next thing. And the second thing is there are striking similarities from the language of James and the language of the Sermon on the Mount, our Lord's teaching. You would expect if they were brothers that there could be a cross-referencing there. My New Testament tutor, Dr. Donald Guthrie, found about 25 similarities between the letter of James and the teaching of our Lord in the Sermon on the Mount. And so, we look at this, um, quite often he writes very tersely in little paragraphs sometimes, and tonight I want to look at this little paragraph that we read together in chapter 4. Um, and it's, it's really lovely. Um, and I want to, to give us a hinge for the whole paragraph, the, the words in verse 14. What is your life? That's the hinge question. The Bible's full of questions. Adam, where are you? If a man die, will he live again? What is a man profited if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? Here's a question. What is your life? Well, quickly, four things about our lives. Our lives are precious. Precious. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Jesus will last, they used to say, the Christians. Our lives are precious. Only one life. And God has only one you. You know, I don't know Sandy very well. He's my favorite lorry driver. I think you drive lorries. <laughs> and uh, I really, I think, I'll tell you something about him that you don't know. There isn't anybody like Sandy. <laughs> He's unique. There never was anybody in the history of the world like Sandy, and there'll never be anybody again like Sandy. His life is unique and precious. And their lives, 
The second thing we'll say about our lives, our lives are powerful. We influence other people. I was asking how Andrew Sibold became a Christian. He was a teacher. I knew he was a teacher in a list D school for years, teaching bad boys how to build stuff. Um, I said, how did he become a Christian? Well, he was in the army for his national service, and he was sent to Cyprus. Uh, and when he was in Cyprus, he met some women. These ladies, they either worked for the NAFI or they worked for the Mission to Mediterranean Garrisons. And it was through seeing the difference in these ladies' lives that Andrew came to trust in Christ. He saw the Lord in them, and it puzzled him and attracted him, and he became a Christian while he was in the forces in his national service. Our lives are powerful. You know, the famous mystery writer, uh, Edgar Wallace, he said he could never be an atheist because he had once met a real Christian. We, we influence other people. Our lives are precious and they're powerful. And they're passing. Time flies. And the older you get, it seems the faster it goes. Is that not right? I mean, there's one or two older folk here that could say amen to that. The, the older you get, the faster it goes. And if you give me a ball, I know what I used to do with a ball. When I tried to do with a ball what I used to do with a ball, the result is ridiculous. <laughs> um, and they say, how far back can you go? Well, I said, well, I can go back. I knew the man that held the horse's head, that pulled the cart, on which D.L. Moody preached in Postle Park in Bardowie Street in 1874. <laughs> when I met the man, he was in his late 90s, old Jock McConnell. Well, he was the boy that held the horse's head, and he became a Christian. And that, that was good, takes me back to 1874. How far back can you go? And life is so quickly passing. Our lives are precious and powerful and passing. And the great feature about our lives <coughs> is that our lives are purchased. Our lives are purchased. We think we can do what we like. We hear all these folk on the television, you know these young ladies stars, they don't want to have children at this age. They'll have children when they're in their 40s now. We can, we can have children when they're in their 40s now and they're going to have marry so-and-so and have so many children. Hey, wait a wee minute. How do you know that? <laughs> How do you know that? You're not your own, God says. You've been bought with a price. And it was the price was the, the given life and the shed blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. And it still is relevant in 2017 as it was all these centuries ago. You're not your own. You're bought with a price, God says. Therefore, glorify God in your bodies and in your spirits, which are his. What is your life? Well, James is a great boy for picture language. And he says, what is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. And I think in my cartoony mind of the seventh tee at Cullen Golf Course, 
you've ever been in the seventh tee of Cullen Golf Course in Banffshire. The seventh tee is an elevated tee. There's the hill on that side, you're liable to go in there if you hook it. Um, <clears throat> and there's the green 203 yards away, it's a par three, uh, four wood for me. Um, and uh, in the morning you see Cullen Bay in front of you from the fifth, seventh tee and uh, the, the Bow Fiddle Rock. And sometimes in the morning there's a mist hanging over Cullen Bay and suddenly the sun comes out and the, the mist lifts and you get this glorious vista of the kings, the rocks, and all the, the seashore at Cullen. He says, what's your life? It's like a puff of smoke. It's like a mist. It's here one day and gone the next. And uh, that's the hinge text for this passage. What is your life? Well, we could go away and think about that for the rest of the, ne the week or the night. What is your life? It's precious, it's powerful, it's passing, and it's purchased. So that's the hinge in the middle of the passage. And then there's a contrast in the two bits of the passage before and after that question. What is your life? Here's how I see it. In the first part, from verse 13, in the first part, he outlines the way of the world. And he epitomizes the way of the world in the matter of day-to-day -day business. And here's a, here's a man pictured by James. Now listen, you who say, and a whole lot of stuff about this guy is good, Tomorrow, today or tomorrow, we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business, and make money. Now, he's a planner. He's a thinker. He thinks ahead. Good. Good. Give him good marks for that. He chooses his time, today or tomorrow. Very good. He picks his spot. We will go to this or that city. And he's got the map out and he's looking at it and he pinpoints it, the place and picks his spot in the map. He chooses his time and he picks his spot. And then he limits his stay. We'll spend a year there. Well, all, all the Jews that read this letter, they would know all about all this. They were men of business, the Jews, basically. He limits his stay and he plans his activities. Will carry on business. And will predict our profits. And you'll make money, he says. And that's the way of the world. The amazing thing to me is that so many folk I meet in life's journey, especially now, older folk, they, they talk about their lives and there's a, a dimension totally missing. And that is the spiritual dimension. It's not that we have a soul. It, the Bible teaching is that we are a soul. God breathed into man's nostrils the breath of life, uh, Genesis 2-7, um, and man became a nefesh, a creature that has life. Um, we owe 
our lives to the direct endowment of the breath of God. And that marks us out from the animals. I mean, I realize the Rangers supporters' songs about the Celtic supporters. Yogi Bear, you know that? Yogi Bear supports the Celtic. Are you familiar with that song? Yogi Bear supports the Celtic. And then the third line's a bit similar. Yogi Bear supports the Celtic, for he's an animal too. And uh, they're not animals. We're not animals. We're people made in the image of God, endowed with the breath of God. And every breath we draw is the moment-by-moment -moment renewal of God's gift of life to us. And you ask people, as I've said to you before, you tell me a bit about him, you know, what was he like? Did he go to Sunday school or Bible class or boys' brigade? No, no, I never went there, you know. Did he attend church? Oh, no, you're kidding, pal. Um, although they don't put it like that very often. Um, and you say, uh, did he have a Bible? Oh, no, never had a Bible. This is Scotland. This is the land of the book, you know. And uh, you say, well, some folk that don't go to church and all that kind of stuff, um, have a Bible and read it privately. Never, no, I never did anything like that. Well, some folk that don't do these things, they switch on the television at tea time or they leave it on for songs of praise, although they're shifting the hour for some. Did he watch? Oh, no, I switched that off when that came on. Um, what did they miss out? They missed out the spiritual dimension. They live as if Christ never lived, never died on the cross, never rose again to give us hope. And what amazes me is they want to go to heaven. They'll say, you know, they'll say they're all going to heaven. Everybody's going to heaven. The Bible doesn't teach everybody's going to heaven. And I had the funeral of a 20-year-old a couple of years back. She, she drunk herself to death, really, with cheap cider. Uh, and she was 20 years old, and they, when they lowered their coffin into the grave, they had a black poly bag full of helium-filled balloons. It wasn't full of them, they had 20 in there. And they, they released these balloons, they said, that's her going up to heaven. You know, and I thought, How did, where did they get that? They must take some comfort from that. But the Bible doesn't teach that. You know, Billy Graham, he was out one day with a farmer, you know, and this farmer was boasting about the extent of his farm. You see that hut up in the hills there, Billy? That's the extent of where I own. I own everything up to that and over to that gate up yonder and this house over here. And Billy said, how much do you owe in that direction? <laughs> he says... He said, do you lay up treasure in heaven where the rust of the moth don't corrupt? So here's the way of the world. It's the way of the world out there. A whole lot of folk, their only companion today has not been the Bible or the church or the gospel or the songs of praise. Their only companion has been the, the Sunday post. Hmm? and they're dying for a smidgen of Christian care. 
But the businessman pictured here in the first part of our text, that's how he plans his time. The fatal omission is they failed to bring God into the picture. And they failed to evaluate their lives in the light of God's interest in them. You know, I was listening. We were in holiday last week. We went to Blackpool. Have you ever been to Blackpool? My kids used to say, have you been to Blackpool, sir? The guy in the Glasgow children, very uh, inquisitive, you know, and I said, no, I've never been to You've never lived. <laughs> I said, come on now, can you imagine me walking about with a kiss me quick hat on, eating candy floss? <laughs> You've never lived. You've never been to Blackpool. But all we got during the week from the coach driver was what he drank and how much he drank and how he was going to drink the following night. I don't know how much that would mean to him when he's driving us the following day, but we just had to trust the Lord to look after us. And I thought, that's, that's all he does. And I quite often say to these guys, do you know the publican? <laughs> you think he's rich? Got a big house and a big car? But he doesn't know you and he doesn't care for you the way God does. He sent his son to be your savior. Um, and you spend your time wasting your hard-earned cash to keep him rich, you know? So that, that's how the man of the world lives. What is your life? What is your life? And that's the life for so many. And the hinge text is, what is your life? The second part tells us the way of the cross. The way of the world, verse 13, following up to the question, what is your life? And then the second part of the passage is about <coughs> the way of the cross, how the man who's experienced Jesus in his life as his Savior, how he lives. <coughs> he says, instead, verse 15, Instead, in contrast to the man of the world and the person who never thinks about God, you ought to say, Deo Valente, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. Deo Valente. When you get letters, you usually get letters, especially from the brethren. When the brethren send you a letter, they used to write, um, would you be able to come to speak at our church such and such a date? DV. I used to wonder what DV was. Uh, because I wasn't brought up with terrible amounts of Latin in my career. DV, Dio Valente. God willing. It's only if the Lord will. I mean, two weeks ago I took on four Sundays in April 2018. <laughs> You know, to write in the back of my 2017 diary. Four weeks in April, the, the minister's having a sabbatical and I have to do fill-in for him for four weeks. Deo Valente. You know, the old lady, um, there was a lady in Lamb Hill who used to tell this story. A lady that used to write to her pal and she used to say, I will meet you on Wednesday, DV, or on Thursday, DV or not. <laughs> <laughs> it's DV, definitely. 
DV, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast and brag, all such boasting is evil. You can't count even on tomorrow. And time and time again, you see it in the newspaper and you see it in the television. People whose lives were planned out as far as they were concerned. And their claims about what was going to happen in the future um, were invalid because they never took God into the picture. They were living the way of the world rather than the way of the cross. And that's part, one of the reasons why I'm very concerned about the, the new president. Somebody's going to plug him, as they say in America. He's going to die soon. And I keep praying for the Lord that for that not to happen. For this man that every day produces some new enactment that causes a pile of trouble. <laughs> Uh, and yet, it's obvious that he, he made promises and he's trying to keep them. And not a lot of politicians do that these days. <laughs> but here's the first thing then. You should say, it is, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. And there are actually guidelines for us here guidelines about living in the second part of this passage how we should be living first of all we should be living with reference to god's will in our lives if it is the lord's will we'll finish these articles about the reformation and get them off for the magazine in time. Fortunately, I don't have to send one at a time. And the first magazine's not out till April, so I've got quite a lot of time, but I'm hopeful. The way I've started, I hope to have finished the first article by next weekend, which is, what, mid-February? Um, but you can't count on it. First of all, we live our lives with reference to God's will. If the Lord wills, we'll do this or that. And the older you get, um, the more you have to think of that. We've had folk bugging us quite a lot about, oh, what do you call it? I can never remember the phrase. Power of attorney, power of attorney, you know? And they're getting hammered by that just now. And we sort of think, well, we've got a close-knit family. And we, we've got a will made, and we've got a funeral plan. <laughs> and we think, when we go to be with the Lord, the family won't fight, surely, about what we've left them. You know, 30-year-old suits and stuff like that. <laughs> and they, they, they won't fight about that. We'll get that all sorted. But they say, no, no, you, you need this, you need this, you need that. And then... Um, Somehow, it seems as if either they just want the money <laughs> to pay for power of attorney, or else they want to direct your life in a certain way. And we're not too keen on that just now. Because some of you will put me right going out the door, but never mind. <laughs> power of attorney, you know, the brevity of life. Um, first of all, 
we should say Deo Valente, with reference to God's will. That's the first thing. And the second thing is we should live with deference to God's will. In other words, when we're evaluating anything, we evaluate everything in the light of the cross, in the light of what Jesus has done for us, by dying for us and rising again. And remember to keep the two together. All the Acts preaching puts the death of Christ linked to the resurrection of Christ. You know who taught me that? A man brought up in a Roman Catholic family who was a communist. His name was Jimmy Reed of the Upper Clyde Shipbuilders. I heard them at a meeting one night chiding the Christians because we don't speak enough about the resurrection. Um, you slew the prince of life, the Acts preaching, but God raised him from the dead. And so when we evaluate our lives in the light of what Christ has done, we evaluate our lives in the light of the fact that because he has risen, we shall rise too, and we shall be with him, and we shall praise him for all eternity, the lamb that was slain. So we live our lives with reference to God's will. That's a dimension we have to consider. And we live our lives with deference to God's will. When we're evaluating anything, we say, how does this relate to the will of God? And I suppose a lot of our Christian giving and our giving as Christians to support Christian work has to be evaluated with deference to God's will. We just can't spend our money the way we, th we think we should without reference to God's will and without deference to God's will. And of course, the third thing is with preference for God's will. We put it first. We put it first, you know. And sometimes it costs, it costs terribly for some folk to serve God. I met a man when I was a kid, oh, amazing. I was a Christian at the time, but he came to Lamb Hill Mission. And his name was Fred Orr. He was an Ulsterman who went out as a missionary with the Acre Acre Gospel Mission to Brazil. And he was going to a primitive tribe up the Amazon in a dugout canoe with his wife. And his wife took ill and died in the dugout canoe heading for the village they were going to. And his first act when he arrived in that village was to bury his wife in a place he'd never been in the whole of his life. And he took it as the Lord's will. It was very, very hard for him. And he had a tremendous influence on a whole lot of people, Fred. Or, um, he later joined... Uh, WEC, Worldwide Evangelization Crusade, as a missionary and worked in Brazil. And he lived his life with preference for God's will. He believed God had called the two of them to serve him up that village up the Amazon in Brazil. And he served God faithfully. And the will of God's something we should seek to promote not only in other people, but in our own lives. Paul says in Romans 12, 
Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world. First part of the verse is the, the pattern of this world, the way of the world. Do this, that, the next thing without reference to God. Um, he says, but be transformed. Do not conform, but be transformed. Do not let the J.B. Phillips translation, do not let this world squeeze you into its mold. He says, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. Good, pleasing, and perfect. And it's hard to say that sometimes when you can't explain circumstances. And as a church, at the moment you're going through that. How can you explain the situation that you find yourself in? And Paul says, find out what God's will is, his good will, his pleasing will, and his perfect will. And you, each one of us has got to, the, got to get to the position where we say, not with any pretense, but with great preference, God's will is good for me. God's will is pleasing for me. God's will is perfect for me. And that, that then transfers to the group. You know, it transfers to the church that you may prove what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and personal will. And so James says, what is your life? It's just a puff of smoke, pal. <laughs> Our lives are so short. What is your life? Don't live it in the way of the world. Live it in the way of the cross, evaluating and responding to God in the light of all that he has done for you. Let's pray together.